Hello and welcome to Co-Produce Care Chat. Today we have the wonderful Sophie Coltart, who is part of Judgment Index and also has a fantastic podcast about all things care and all things about outstanding care. Um, so welcome Sophie, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Um, so what we usually ask people to do when they first come on is just explain a bit about you, who you are and the uh, projects and organisations you're involved with to do with yes. care. So I think probably the easiest thing that people know me from is the podcast which is called The Road to Outstanding yeah. uh, which is available on all kind of podcast platforms and there's there's a lot of episodes there, all interviews with people working in care. So I just ask them all the questions about how they've got to where they've got mm. to, um, all about sharing best practice. So that's what I think a lot of people would know me from. Um, I work for a company called Judgment Index, so we're a family business, me and my dad, mm. and uh, we do a few different things. So we deliver training to care companies, but more leadership training rather than the kind of compulsory type training uh, that you find. Um, so we do leadership academies and workshops. Um, the Judgment Index itself is actually an assessment that we use and care companies use it as part of their kind of values-based recruitment um, and also for development with staff as well. That's so interesting. So the Judgment Index is almost like a project in itself yes. that organisations can use to um, assess how the organisation is doing in terms of valuing staff and um, retention recruitment? Yes, so they use it. So a lot of people might be familiar with, as an example, the NHS values-based questionnaire, which people might take at interview if they were going for an NHS-type job. Um, so it's an assessment that you take normally prior to your interview, and the company will then use that to, in, as part of their interview process. So it will help direct some questions for them. Um, and really, it, it looks at values-based behaviours, so it's quite different from a personality-type assessment. Mm. Um, but because values-based behaviours can change over time, yeah. that's what makes it really good for a development tool. So useful for appraisals, useful for if you're looking for areas of actually what training do I need to give to my staff, we often get a phone call from people saying we need some team bonding right. but actually once they've all taken the assessment and when you look at how they are, it's not team bonding that they need. It might be, I don't know, assertiveness training or help uh, support with their self-esteem, things like that. So it, will help, it helps with, with that side of things. So how did you come to thinking about Judgment Index? Because actually, I think that's a really interesting tool to use for organisations, like you say, throughout the lifetime of working with a member of staff. Yeah. Because you often get to know someone a little bit through through uh, job interviews, mm. but finding out what their values are, it's a really tricky sort of type of recruitment. Yeah. Um, and it's values-based recruitment is really popular now, but yeah. often knowing how, how do you actually do that is one of the big challenges. Yes, I can see care companies are really embracing values-based recruitment and mm. Skills for Care do a lot of great work on it as well, yeah. um, about asking these types of questions. I think what most care companies have said to me at one point or another is, I interviewed somebody, um, they came across great in the interview, three weeks later after they've started, I think, who is this person? Um, and that's the thing, I think, particularly if people have worked in care for a long time and they've been around and they've worked in different places, they know how to answer interview questions. They know what to expect. So this tool is useful because it helps you to delve, we always say, under the surface, what's behind the mask of the person sat in front of you. And if you can find that 
at interview, um, it will help you make a more objective decision. And I think what I see a lot with care, um, which, you know what, across all sectors, to be honest, yeah. is we can get different biases when we're interviewing as well. So somebody comes in, they're on time, they've got all the qualifications, they, they kind of tick a lot of boxes for you and you almost have that pre determined bias when you interview them um, and sometimes things that could be red flags they won't come they won't come to the surface because you want to give this person a job already mm. um, but also on the other side of that somebody might come in for a job who hasn't worked in care before could be very nervous in the interview could actually have all the great qualities to be an awesome care professional but is on the surface is very nervous and you might then not give them a job. Um, so it can help highlight both sides. I'm always yes. quite keen to say it's not all about spotting negative, it can mm. be about spotting the positive as well. And also, presumably, it's about matching that person's values to the values of the organisation. Mm. So finding someone's values is actually crucial because you can think, well, they might be really, really good on paper, but are they actually going to fit into the way that we do things? Yes. So it's actually really um, useful in that way. And if people wanted to get involved or find out more about it, um, is it something that they would contact uh, Judgment Index about? Yes. Um, and then a tool that, that you help them use throughout? Yes. Yeah. So most of the companies we work with, they use it as part of their hiring process. Um, and then they use it as well with their existing teams and they use it to develop them. Um, so yeah, yeah, we, we always will offer to bring it to life for people. I think that's always the best way to do it. Have a have a sample yeah. Um, and yeah, let show show people how it works but I think even without using a tool like the judgment index there's still a lot of things that people can take away in terms of thinking about how they interview and how they can be more objective with their interviews as well. And then moving on to the other uh, part of your work is the podcast that you have, the yes. um, Outstanding Care Podcast, is that right? Um, and I think that's one of the first things that I um, introduced me to you. I, I saw you were tweeting about it um, and then you actually interviewed one of our uh, care managers. Yes. <laughs> um, and it was fantastic and it was a great idea to think about interviewing different people who don't normally hear about um, and letting them talk about their experiences and you've interviewed everyone from um, chief inspectors of CQC right through to uh, carers through to somebody who's on Gogglebox. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've done so much, really, really super interesting. What made you think of doing a podcast mm. like that? So I'm into podcasts anyway. I'm a bit of a podcast nut. So I love, I, you know, and I live in London. So you're always traveling about on the tube and it's, it's great to listen to a podcast to pass the time. And we were actually working with a care company uh, in South London and, so, and they were an outstanding rated company. And the people that we were working with were just awesome and just really really good fun and one of them had received outstanding in all five areas and I was chatting with her um, and I said oh, I bet people ask you these sorts of questions all the time and she said well not really you get a bit of an initial buzz maybe a little bit of press and that's kind of it mm. and I thought she had so many good stories about how they'd achieved it what they felt contributed towards the outstanding rating how they got support to get that outstanding yeah. rating. And I thought, how can we capture all of this? Mm. And kind of, and, and the one thing that she said to me that really stood out was she said, you sometimes go to outstanding type events and it's everybody who is outstanding in a room together. And she said, 
she sat in one of these events and thought this should be sh being shared outside Absolutely. these four walls, not, yeah. not just inside. And I just went away and my brain started ticking. You got and it. I then thought, you were like, that is the sign. <laughs> so, and um, I thought, how difficult can it be yes. to start a podcast? So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I started, I interviewed a few people, you know, picked up on my contacts, but I was really keen. And I know you go to a lot of social care events as mm. well. And you do see the same people, and I know it's important, and they're, they're great at what they do, but sometimes it's how can we hear from somebody who is a frontline carer, who is an activities coordinator, who is a chef in a care home, and hear about their stories and their experiences. Um, so it's all about sharing the positive. What can people take away and go and put into practice? Yeah. If they're going to spend that 30 minutes or so listening, what can they take away from it? So yeah. it's really been really, really good fun. Yeah, um, such an inspirational idea. Um, <laughs> I've got some stats. One of the stats is there's been <laughs> 17,000 downloads of your podcast, um, specifically like over the last year. Yes. So, and from all over the world. So yeah, international. Yeah, it's great to go and have a look at the, your stats mm. and kind of geek out a little bit and yeah. say, oh, somebody's listened in Guatemala. <laughs> you know, how, how is that somebody? that works in care that's on holiday yeah. you know or is, is it spreading like that and I think that's the best thing about this type of media you know and what you're doing here really is that it can live on um, but yeah 60 episodes um, tons of interviews with different people and people don't need to start somewhere they can find something that they think they would find interesting yeah exactly um, that's the beauty of it yeah and dive in are there any common issues that you find crop up in your podcast or even in your work although it's probably slightly set different questions mm. but that people are coming up with that they're either facing or are concerned about in in social care mm. um is there anything that you've through those 60 interviews that you found yes. has been quite a common issue i think it's tricky with issues because the podcast is although we do touch on issues mm. it's more about sharing the, the positive yeah, so yeah. I think people are coming on and they're they're more sharing that the the good things that have worked rather than um, issues that they might have had but I definitely think um, some of the things and they're, they're always the same things recruitment and retention yeah. how to find the right staff um, what they might have done as well to I find there's definitely a trend with outstanding leaders um, is how much they trust their staff to do things and how much they empower their staff um, and, and seem to have that great support system around them. You know, it's not, no man is an island. Yeah, they didn't yeah. get there by themselves and they all recognise that. Yeah. So I think having a strong team around you. Moving on to your book now, because it's all about leadership. Yes. But it isn't, but it is. Um, <laughs> so this is the book, mm -hmm. The Care Leader's Handbook, and it is very much a handbook, something that you'd want to revisit, I think. Um, and if we just have a quick flick through, it's very um, accessible and also has lots of resources, lots of tips, lots of graphs, lots of things you could basically just lift out of it and use in your own organisation or inspires thoughts. Um, so... One of the things that you talk about in your book, which I feel is being recognised a bit more at the moment, is that um, recognising the leadership qualities of everybody, mm. so all of your team, and moving away um, from the traditional uh, way of managing, which is very top-down, yes. and thinking, well, actually, everybody is a leader. Um, 
Can you just talk a bit about what you mean by everybody is a leader? Yeah, I like I like that you've picked up on that as well because that's obviously a key key message within the book. Mm. Um, so we run leadership academies. My dad's background is as a performance coach. Um, I grew up on my summer holidays, sat in the back of a room somewhere pretending not to listen while he was doing this training and obviously a lot of it kind of sunk in somewhere along the line. So we, we run these academies and workshops for care companies and, and all sorts of different industries. Um, and I think that's the thing is a lot of what, what is in here can be applied, mm. whether you are a care team, whether you are a kitchen team, whether you are a hospitality team. Um, the, the ethos around everybody is a leader and I think I've experienced it where I've asked a question during uh, speaking at a conference and I've said hands up if you're a leader and only a few hands ever go up and I think even if you're not sat in this conference as a manager or a director or an owner of a care company you are still a leader and if you're not you know who you are the leader of who you care for you may be the leader of a small team you might just be a team leader not just be a team leader but that might be where you are now um and if you're not the leader of anyone else you're at least the leader of yourself and i think if we can instill this kind of leadership ethos throughout a, a company like I said it provides the manager with more support yeah. um, and and then that will filter through and I think if you can have a culture built around leadership mm-hmm. uh, where people do step up where people can take responsibility um, and where people feel like they have some control over over what they do within their role um, it can be really empowering and I think that's that's where we need to get to. Which is fantastic because you talk about different leadership uh, styles and Mm. sometimes people think, well, I've got to have a certain type of style, but also depends who you're working with and which type of member of staff that you're um, relating to. You might have to employ different styles. Um, Do you think that that's kind of the way to go or is it better to identify a style and then to stick to it? Well, it's an interesting one. I think if you only ever have one style of leadership, you're only ever going to resonate with a small percentage of the people you work with. They will resonate with that style but there'll be many others that don't and I think this is I love this topic because if you ever I don't know if you can remember back when you first stepped into a leadership position Mm. mine was that I was working in a bar and I got promoted to manager so as I was kind of I don't know 19 20 suddenly I was the leader of all my my friends Mm. and it's a really difficult role to step into because what we see often uh, is that people will either go to this kind of dictator style of leadership that I'm sure people will sort of chuckle and know somebody that might have done that where you think the way for me to have authority, the way for me to show that I'm the leader is to tell people what to do and kind of have this very kind of dictator style we call it a command style of leadership or people go to what we call the affiliative style of leadership which is oh we're all still friends you know I still want to be friends with everyone and the danger with that is that people can get walked over if if you're like that and so how do you find that balance particularly new leaders and people who are newly promoted Mm -hmm. that can be a really big struggle and that's something that we really wanted to address in the book um so that and that's why we say this book is for managers team leaders deputies 
people are always stepping into a, a role where they have to adjust. And the key with it, to answer the question, is we promote a flexible style of leadership. What is appropriate for the scenario? What's appropriate for the situation that you're in? What's appropriate for the people that are around you? Um, if CQC were walking up the driveway right now, I would like my manager probably to adopt a bit of a commanding style of leadership. Mm. Right, action stations everybody, this is what I want you to do. And I think the staff would appreciate and resonate that style at that time. If you're organising a family barbecue, it might be a more appropriate time to be a bit more affiliative with the staff and say, right everyone, how can we work this event together and kind of people might not need to be told what to do and given as much direction at that time. So it's about being able to be flexible. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that's really helpful because leadership is just so high on the agenda for so many different reasons. So you've got the CQC, the Care Quality Commission, the regulator, who will put quite um, a large emphasis, I think, on well-led, one yes. of the key lines of inquiry that they look at when they inspect. And so there's a lot of pressure on the manager to be the right type of manager. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've also got the problem, like you say, when you do you move up positions. So if you are putting people on that career progression, you most likely will have someone who's been a care worker, who's mm -hmm. then a team leader, who's then a supervisor, or you know the other way around, and then they become a manager. Yeah. So And they've worked with their team for years, and then suddenly they've got to deliver on KPIs, or they've got yes. deadlines that they need to, and everything gets a bit stressful. So it's the idea of how do you keep all you know, do you need a style or or not? And it's really refreshing for you to say, well, actually, just be flexible, you know, and also just be you, probably. Yes. Don't lose who you are as a person. Yeah, and I think it's that thing, you quite often see it, that people get promoted because they're good at their job, mm. and they might never, I mean, we go into companies that are outstanding rated companies, but the team have never had any kind of leadership training before, because a lot of the training is always management training, or paperwork, or, you right. know, the, the sort of things that are obviously crucial, vital within a care organisation, um, but actually, how do you lead? How do you get the best out of people? And, and really, leading and leadership, it's about being able to influence people to positive outcomes, I think, right. and get the best out of the team, get the results that you want, and, and what is the best way to do that? Mm. Um, if you walk into a team where everybody's fighting and everybody's clicky and it's a, it's a bad culture within there, that might need... A particular style and that style might need to be no nonsense um, but if you walk into a team where everybody's really well gelled confident capable that style might not go down very well with that team yeah. so it's about thinking about it and there's yeah. there's um I mean you can go online there's lots of different free quizzes that you can take to work out what leadership style you're using the most right now right. that's not necessarily right or wrong um, and we do have one in the book as well um, that people can take and it's about thinking about that style and then thinking have there been scenarios where I should have changed it or I should have been a bit more flexible yeah. and could I have got a better result? It's almost like a critical reflective practice. Um, but when I, I did read the book and your definition that you've got is this one and I really like it. Um, so leadership definition is a process of social influence which maximises the efforts of others towards the achievement of a determined outcome. Um, and what I liked about that is the social influence mm -hmm. because it's not just influencing the 
organisation. It's thinking about all the different people that are involved in yes. that organisation. And it's a lot wider than, than just the people who are immediately with you. And I think that's a real, a different focus and that kind of like makes sense in a caring environment because it's it's a social it's mm. a social job if you like maximizing efforts as well obviously you're looking at your different skills of your staff and you're thinking well how can i help them to be the best that they can mm -hmm. be um and then obviously looking towards an actual outcome so being focused and you know yeah. what are we here for what why are we doing it uh, so I really like that definition and I might just get it printed and put it up <laughs> somewhere in my organisation I think, I think it's great. the key with it as well is that it's not about you Yeah. Um, and I think if you wanted to just condense that right down I think that would be almost a good definition of, of leadership is it's not about you, it's about what it's about what you can can draw out of other people and yeah. have them be their best. So You're like a facilitator, basically. Yes, uh, an yeah. Enabler. Enabler is that the right word? Enabling the best. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. So the next question is about uh, coaching your staff. So you talk a little bit about it in the book mm. and how it's really important to support the manager by making sure that the staff are well supported. Uh, so how important is coaching your staff? It's very important is probably the simple answer and I think what we've found and, and you know we've worked with so many care companies and and we've asked people do you coach your staff and they think they do right. but when you dig down to it actually it's a lot easier to tell people what to do when you're in a busy care environment you've got that morning meeting perhaps where you've got you know five quiet minutes before everything sort of turns to chaos in the end it's a lot easier if you as the manager know the answer to give the answer yeah. and it's how can we start to just start thinking about how can we change this? Because if you can coach your staff to find the answers from within themselves, and coaching is about asking open questions, it's as simple as that. And I think a really good way of people thinking, do I coach? Am I, am I coaching or am I actually telling? Is the next time a staff member comes to you with an issue or a problem, mm. try not to tell them anything. Try to only ask questions now we do this as a practical exercise when we work with care companies and it's amazing how difficult it is and I know, I know how difficult it is you you know the answer and you just think oh, it would be so much easier if I just gave them the answer but if they can find it within themselves then you have then helped almost empower that person then um, to think okay I can do this for myself and if we if you can start that's the first place to just start and start to make those kind of incremental gains within yeah. the company where people are starting to be coached rather than told. So when's the best time to do coaching? Because you have supervisions. Mm. Is that the time to coach? Or is, I feel like what you're saying is almost like you're doing it throughout your conversations with staff yes. all the time. Yeah, and I think we talk about this. Coaching can be a sit-down conversation, a supervision, you know, scheduled. But you can also just coach my dad always says on the hoof you know yeah. as you're walking around you could you could say to somebody let's go and take a quick walk in the garden and talk about something that's coming up and just start asking okay how would you, how do you think you would do this mm. how do you what do you think we should do and and just try and tease it out of them yeah. and i think your staff might surprise you that yeah. they do have it there and sometimes it's just the confidence it is and i think sometimes 
your staff will surprise you but they'll also surprise themselves because mm. a lot of the time staff might come to you to say if you've got an open door policy it's great because they could just ask their manager anytime mm -hmm. they can ask them a question but a lot of the time they actually know the answers but they almost want validation yes um so it's almost changing the culture mm. of well actually you probably might know the answer but just you can check it with me but you probably know what you need yes. to do anyway so it's giving them that confidence yes it's coming yeah. back to that developing, it's all part of developing a leadership culture. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's some things, important things that you need to have in place. I think if staff feel like there's potentially a bit of a blame culture within the care environment or they feel like they could get in trouble if they do the wrong thing, then that might be the reason why they're coming to you for that validation. So it's, unfortunately, there's never a sticking plaster answer that you can just mm -hmm. apply. It, there's always other things to think about. but. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. If people are coming to you asking questions and you think they know the answer, just try and get into that habit of everything that comes out of my mouth is going to be a question. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult, but it can yeah. be fun as well. Yeah, you've got to really <laughs> kind of get into it. Um, I like the way that you link sort of like culture and values. Mm -hmm. And you talk about uh, culture statements. Can you uh, explain a little bit about what culture statements are? Yes. It's a fav my favourite topic, I think. Okay. So, we're, obviously we talk about values a lot yeah. within care. The biggest problem with care company values is they're often the same. So, if you took three care homes in the same town, for example, they probably might have the value of caring, respect, integrity, Dignity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're very often the same. So how do you differentiate? Because if the values are the same, they can their, their meaning can get lost. They can become just words on a wall or words in a handbook or on a website. Um, that if you said to the staff, and this is a really good thing for people to do, go and grab someone in the hallway and say, do you know what our values are? If they can name them, then great. But then say to them, what do they mean? And that's where people will come unstuck, being able to actually describe what it means to be caring. Because this is sometimes people struggle to, to sort of understand this, but the word respect can mean something slightly different in one home to another. And it's about how can we actually have the staff own these values? And I think the best way to get them to own them is to what I call create culture statements. So get your team together, have a little workshop, as you know, as many as you can, or however you, you divide it up, and ask them to think about those values. Take a value and say, what would you like this to mean? And a key thing here is to have it what it means for them, rather than what it means for the residents or the clients, because the chances are everything you do is, is about the clients anyway. So how can we develop some meaning around these words for the, for the team? And actually, your team might come up with, well, respect means we talk to each other the same way we talk to our with the same amount of respect as we talk to our clients. Because mm. you probably find there'll be ways that they don't talk to the client that they would talk to each other. Mm. And so how can you develop these then into more of a sentence yeah. that embodies what it means to, to live those values? Mm. That's a, a great way of doing it. In fact, that's one of the things that we started doing in our care organisation. We didn't call them culture statements at the time because I hadn't 
the book hadn't been released. <laughs> but um, it's sort of sort of thing that we did in induction, and we asked people to look at the our values and ex do like you know have a big piece of paper and describe how they would you know internalize them exactly what you're yeah. saying and what do those values mean to them because they're not what the values mean to me they have to work and live and breathe them mm -hmm. so they have to in a way understand it in a way that it makes sense to them yeah so I think that's a, a really good way of coming at it because like you say a lot of the times you do have these values and they're great and it's a really good focus but if they're just stuck up on walls and people yeah. aren't really embedding it into their practice then yeah. they're a bit useless and there's so much you can do with them once you've done that as well. Because mm. once the staff then agree, yes, this is how we would like to behave, this is how we, what we would like to live by uh, when we're at work, then it can start to shift a culture. Yeah. The staff then also feel that they're being included in these sorts of decisions. And I know a lot of care companies will say, well, we have a marketing company that decided our values, so we can't change our values. That's not to say that you can't adapt those words to fit what the staff want the culture to be that they yeah. can buy into. Perfect. So we're going to move on to now some social media engagement questions. Ooh. So we've been out to Facebook and Twitter <laughs> and people have asked um, some questions. Uh, the first one is from Nicholas Key-Mew, I think that's how you say it. Um, and the question is, um, well, they say they're trying not to mention Brexit, mm. but uh, they're interested to ask um, how we compete with big supermarkets um, where they offer well over the minimum wages. Yes, this is a difficult question, mm. but I'm going to try. I th I, so this is what I think people need to think about. And I haven't worked in a supermarket, so I can't talk from experience in that sense. But if I think about what a supermarket offers and what my care company offers. So the local supermarket, you could even do this in a column, you know, pros, cons. The local supermarket is going to offer a better salary, potentially. And I think a lot of people think that that just instantly means that people will go for a better salary. And, and there are people who will be money motivated. I know people who would leave a lovely job to go and work somewhere that pays more, even if the job ends up being horrible. And yes, they might then realize that the grass is greener and come back. Um, or yes, potentially you might lose people to wages. But what can differentiate you as a care company from a supermarket? Now, from a distance, I would think that you could have a far better culture within a care home. You know, I walk into care homes where you feel like you're walking into a home, a lovely place, you know, really warm, everybody's very friendly. Supermarkets from, you know, from my distance, they look quite clinical. Um, are, are they building a culture or do people literally go in and do their shift and go home? So it's almost like differentiating yourself and saying, well, it's more than just the pay. This is like the whole package that you're Yes. With. So you're really having to kind of like pick out what your you know, unique selling point is yeah. or you know, what you're differentiating yourself from the others and how it's positive. Because if you think about it, people go into care because they're caring. Yeah. And so they probably want that interaction. They want to have a friendly environment. They want to feel valued and feel like they're giving back to other people. I don't know how much of that you would get from working in a supermarket. And I'm not saying you don't get any of it, yeah. but I think this is the way that care companies need to think about. It doesn't just come down to money. So what can we do? Yeah. Um, I think something with a supermarket, potentially people can come in and do their shift and go home and forget about work. 
How much is your care company letting people do that? Or are people actually being bombarded when they're at home with WhatsApp messages? Or is there a pressure to kind of fill shifts that could make people potentially stressed? That makes them think it would be easier to go and work into a, in a supermarket. So it's thinking about all of those. Yeah. But I think it's not all is not lost just because a supermarket pays more. Yeah. I think we have to start thinking creatively on, on what, what care offers absolutely um and this is a question from suzanne and she's asking um when there are difficult times so for example high levels of sickness or annual leave do you have any tips on how to keep staff motivated oh um on the spot yeah i think i think the important thing at a time like that talking about coming back to leadership styles if staff are tired if staff, people are off sick, if staff are pulling together, are they feeling valued for what they're doing? Yeah. And this may be a time for you to think about your leadership style and think this is a time for me to be affiliative. The team are in the dirt a little bit, like thing, things are not great. So I need to be there with them, not up here. I need to now help them to see that I am one of them. I do understand. Yeah. Um, obviously, if there's things that you can do, I appreciate there's not always, sometimes you just have to get through that difficult period. But I think that's a time where your team needs to feel like you understand and you're you're one of them. Absolutely. Um, and I think in those situations, it's very easy for a manager or any or coordinator or someone who's doing the rotors to think, I'm so, so stressed. I just need to be really strict and use that top-down approach. Mm. Um, and actually, that will make people feel even more stressed. That will increase yeah. stress levels. Um, so like you say, if you're actually thinking, okay, we're a team, we can get through this. Um, and even just doing nice things maybe at the end of it and just a little gift or yeah. lunch or whatever you can do just makes people think, right, we got through that really tough time yes. of massive annual leave and it's fine and just yeah. appreciating people. So, it, yeah, understanding your, your style, it comes back to that really, mm. yeah. Um, so Debbie has asked, what has been your greatest work challenge? I think for me, the story that I told earlier where I stepped into this leadership role where mm -hmm. suddenly I was in charge of people who were my friends. Um, and that was really a time where I started to think, how do I now manage this this bar? <laughs> it doesn't sound, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it, it was an, an, like a night bar, very busy bar. Yeah. And how do I step into this role at quite a young age? And I wasn't just managing bar staff, I was managing doormen who can be quite difficult, yeah. <laughs> having a, you know, a young 19 year old telling them what to do. Um, how do I manage this? Um, I really did turn to my dad at that point and sort of came back to the things that, that he'd been training for so many years about lead, leadership. Um, one of the things which I did, which became a habit to the point that it became a joke in a good way, is that at the end of every single shift, when everybody was cleaning at the end of the evening, and I'd always muck in and clean as well, I would always say to everybody before we left, Thank you, everyone. You've all done a great job. No matter if it was a good night, bad night, mm. indifferent. Um, and it became a habit so much that the doorman would kind of prompt me to say it. He said, you've all, he'd, he would say, you've all done very well. And I'm sure if I saw him today, this yeah. when he is on, he would still be able to quote oh, that back to lovely. me. 
And I think it's worth remembering that people are coming in and they're delivering care and it, it is a tough job. And, and so how often are you saying thank you? Or is it just, it can it's so easily get forgotten, but that can make a really big difference to people. I think that's spot on. Mm. A lot of the time when you have um, staff who are disgruntled, it's just because that their hard work hasn't been recognized mm. or they haven't been shown compassion. So I think, um, yeah, just explaining what, what how you got through those challenges is uh, really helpful. So the next question is from Flora, and she wants to know, how much do you think the stigma around health and social care or uh, health and social care workers has um, affected the industry? Yeah, this needs to change, doesn't yeah. it? And I think that's it's something now that people are really working towards and I think everyone that works within care has has come to that realization that we need to promote a positive uh, narrative to go along with care every time I mean my grandma will phone me and say I saw in the news about something that happened within a care home and I'm just you know so frustrated about yeah. it um, which is almost why you did your podcast because yes. you had so many positive um, stories. Yeah, actually, I was interested to find out how. Uh, what was your favourite podcast? Do you have oh. a favourite? One? <laughs> I mean, there are so many where people shared so much that mm. you could take from. I would say one of my most fun ones, and as we're in Bristol today, I'd have to say when I interviewed Mary and Marina from Gogglebox. Ah. <laughs> So they um, they are part they are they live in a uh, assisted living um, home that's run by St Monica's Trust and they um, they were great. I wouldn't say their interview is particularly useful in terms of um, you know they told stories and they were wonderful to speak to um, and they were really good fun and most of the things that they said off camera were better than what they said in the podcast but I couldn't put any of it in um but yeah I think I think they were they were great to me lovely and ladies that is the um, joy of it actually getting those personalities the people who are using the care services why yes. not about them and their lives it's not just about a task that we're performing yes I think that doesn't really get represented in the media at all um and actually that helps people understand that it could be any of us that so we're people dealing with people sometimes when you take away all the bureaucracy and the a different level of management and all the other stuff that we have to do we're just people at the end yeah. of the day so showing that is lovely one thing that i saw recently um i don't know if anybody watches love island but uh, one of the girls yeah. in love island said she was a model and a carer and i just could have cheered at the yeah. tv screen because and they started asking her about it and i thought please 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 let them shine some light on this and i think we need more of that. I think we also need more celebrities that might have family that are that are having care provided to them to be able to talk about it and just kind of let's lift this sector a bit more. Yeah. Um, and and start getting that positive narrative out there. That's so important. Um, yeah. I mean, did, did they, I don't I don't watch it. And I feel like I need to go and watch it. Did she talk or he talk about? She just said that she was a carer. Right. And um, there was a few comments about oh, what a wonderful person she was that yeah, she was yeah. delivering. It's care. a positive, it's great. A positive yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So lovely. I do hope that they pick that back up again yeah. in the series because I think it was great to see that. Yeah. On, on a show that you would never, never expect care to be brought up. Perfect. And. Another question is about um, 
your top tips on creating a good work-life balance for those in leadership roles. Yes. That's from Flora. Okay. I know this is so difficult because I'm somebody that works from home and works in the evening and works on the weekends and, and, it, and how do you then create that work-life balance? So I think an important thing to remember is that there is a, something that's coming out more and more now, they call it leaveism, which is when people are working when they shouldn't be working. So whether they're on holiday or whether it's the weekend. Um, and obviously that can create burnout as well. And then people aren't going to get the best out of work. So it is really important to find things outside of work that fulfill you um, so that you can have some time for yourself. I think with care in particular, the energy tends to go outwards to other people. So how do you preserve some of that energy for yourself? And how do you, um, you know, basically recharge your batteries outside of work? Um, I've got some personal opinions on things such as using WhatsApp for work. I don't think WhatsApp should be used yeah. as a means of communication because people use it for personal reasons. Um, and I know I've worked in environments where you have WhatsApp messages coming in from your manager and it can cause stress. Um, at home and so look at alternatives look at other messaging platforms that are more work orientated that can make that separation for you and also presumably if you are a leader who's open to staff coming to you and just saying actually the style of working isn't working for me or I'm feeling a bit stressed or I haven't got my well-being mm. up together then if you're an open manager you can have that dialogue with them and you yes. can work it out together um, and that's got to be quite helpful way of, of yes. leading yeah definitely yeah um so the next question that we have is um how important is the quality of recruitment on how long people um stay in a job oh i don't know i i, oh, I couldn't pull some stats out off the top of my head yeah. i think this is the important thing to remember it's there's no i mean we get called in sometimes to work with people on recruitment but if the culture is not right mm. within the home, or, or I always say home, but you know, any care company, if the culture's not right, if you hire good people, they'll leave quicker. Yeah. Because they won't stick around for a bad culture. They'll know they can get appreciated somewhere else. So it's not just, yes, hiring the right people is so crucial, but you need to have the right culture in place. Right. So you've got to be the right company that yes. people want to work for. It's not just about having an amazing um, squeaky clean recruitment um, mm -hmm. campaign. You've got to be the right company yeah. to work for. And don't get me wrong, if you bring somebody in who's a bad apple then yes there's that phrase that it will spoil spoil the rest of the apple cup but um it's important to to not just focus on one thing because you'll miss something else it's it, you've got to look at it holistically it's yeah. it's across the the whole operation really great lesson um so then what we're going to move on to now are our cactus questions we have our cactus Ooh. our resident <laughs> um so those are pricky questions about health and social care so, um, first cactus question um, is about something you mentioned on one of your podcasts, your last podcast, and you said that your podcasts have represented 41 women and 20 men um, in the interviews that you've done. Um, and, you know, that's a great stat because uh, there are a lot of women who are working in social care, um, health and social care, but also it's there are some men working in it as well. Mm. Um, 
Do you think that there needs to be more representation of um, certain groups in certain positions in health and social care? Uh, does that really matter? I think it does matter and I know that equality is something that's being talked about a lot um, and I've said on the podcast a few times you know I'm a bit of a feminist so I was quite proud of that stat that I'd interviewed a lot of a lot of women for the podcast. I think that there are probably definitely more women working in social care than men yeah. but I think when you start to look towards the top there are more men in in senior leadership positions and I think it's just important that whoever you are in care if you want to go on that journey and you want to be able to see that pathway to the top that you can see somebody that you can relate to um, so I think it's really important that people support each other and that we do start seeing particularly as well I think I've, I've interviewed younger managers who have talked about their struggles of being quite young and how they're perceived as managers being young. Um, I've talked about, I've talked with women in leadership positions that have talked about potential struggles that they might have had um, getting to that, that senior position. And I just think it's important that we have these conversations and that if somebody who is a care professional, who could be, let's say, quite fresh out of school or college, and they're thinking, oh, could I potentially be the next CEO of Skills for Care? Or, you know, Chief Inspector, or whatever they want to be, they can see that there is a pathway yeah. to get there. What do you um, think is um, holding people or women back sometimes from these senior, very senior positions? Because you'll have women managers, but then you might not see as many um, women CEOs mm. and yet there's so many women who work in social care on the ground yeah is there something that's stopping is there like a glass ceiling I suppose in all organizations not just care there probably isn't there is anyway mm. um but you know you just think of the caring profession because it is so heavy with the amount of women that are employed mm. do you think there's any theme or reason why that might be I don't know I know certainly within care the work that we've done within care when we have use the assessment to look at, at people working in care mm. we do see confidence as an issue I'm not necessarily saying that confidence um, is an issue at that senior level um, but certainly with the general care sort of levels that we work with we do see that confidence and self-esteem is very often a development area that comes out in every care organisation. So how do we start to build people's confidence to actually think I can get there? Um, one thing that I think even within, let's say you're a single independent care home or, or domiciliary company, is find somebody who has progressed. Or even if you're a manager and you started as a care professional, you started part-time as a, then tell that story. Because somebody could hear that story and then be inspired by that. Yes, it's so all, I think that's important. Yeah, so it's all about sharing your story, but also maybe even mentoring people mm -hmm. to have that link um, and to show them, actually, I was in your position before, but you can absolutely do, do the same. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. The next one is some questions. You, well, you're used to asking questions with your podcast, so this is okay. <laughs> um, but we've got a couple of people that we're interviewing in the next few weeks. Uh, the first one is uh, Kate Taroni, who's yes. the Chief Inspector of Adult Social Care at the Care Quality Commission, CQC. Um, so, you know, in the ethos, spirit of uh, 
opening up the care debate and yes. asking other people to ask the questions. What question, or maybe you have a couple, mm. uh, for Kate would you, uh, would you ask? I think it would be nice to ask Kate about taking the position um, and how it felt stepping into that position and what things did she put into place to support herself as she was kind of transitioning into that important role? Because I think that's something that as well a lot of people could relate to. If you're uh, uh, being brought in as a brand new manager into a company, how how does that transition work? And she might have some great tips on how she took took that role. Yeah. Um, and the other person that we're interviewing is Caroline Dynage, and mm -hmm. she's the Minister of State at the Department of Health and Social Care. Um, so I was wondering if you had any sort of government type questions for her. I would. I definitely a cactus question. I'd be a bit cheeky and ask about how we can get Matt Hancock to talk more about social care yeah. and and maybe she could help with that as well um i frequently comment on his twitter when he talks about the nhs and i say don't forget social, social care, care yes. and i think we all feel that way so how can we sort of prompt prompt that action from from yes. them maybe caroline can help with that yeah absolutely and also wearing things like the care badge yes so you've got the nhs badge. you're wearing the care badge yes. today yes. um <laughs> so if we can start getting NHS people to wear the care badge or maybe yeah. have a joint effort and have mm -hmm. an NHS and care badge. Yeah. Um, because it almost seems in your mind when you think about care, it's just bizarre that we have these two like separate things. And I think so. if you ask somebody on the street, what's Matt Han Hancock's role? They'd probably say NHS. Mm. And that's a problem. We, we need to address that. Absolutely. Mm. Um, that was great. I really enjoyed that and I learned so much from it. So thank you so much. Um, you. I know that you've, you're on uh, Twitter and mm. you have uh, the Judgment Index has its website. So yes. if people want to learn more about you, then we will include that all in the description box of the um, interview. Perfect. Is there anything else? Are you blogging or...? I think the best place for people to find more information is the website okay. and the, we've got lots on there. We've got some research that we've done with Outstanding Rated Managers. Oh, we've got links to our brochure which talks all about our leadership workshops and people can have a look at what we do, some YouTube videos. Um, but feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as and well. And you're all over the country so you advise yes. everywhere. That's great. Okay, thank you so much Sophie. Thank I you. really enjoyed it.